so this next seminar is going to be longer than Scott's intro, so just want to set your expectations. Uh, but I think that you just recognize that or assume that when the moment I walk up here. So Scott, that was a gift to us. Thank you for kind of setting our kind of foundation and our gaze on, on what God is doing. Um, so I want to share with you guys a paradigm or a framework of how to make sense of everything going on in our life. Make sense with trials, make sense with soul care, make sense with sin and good fruit and what God is doing. What is his design? And about six years ago, I was introduced to this and it just absolutely blew my mind. Um, It was a paradigm shift for me, but even in the last six years, I've been very slow to implement this in my day to day. I still operate with worldly wisdom. I still give people worldly advice and I blame spiritual issues um, and give it worldly blame. You know, I, I, I prescribe worldly solutions to spiritual issues and worldly um, roots to actual spiritual roots. And, and so I am someone who's still learning. So I don't feel like I'm this expert that is coming to you, but I'm trying to learn and I hope this helps you well. Um, I, I've gained a lot of help from these books, How People Change by Lane and Tripp. Real Change is kind of a, some of you guys remember this resource. We went through it in MCs, some MCs, and it's kind of a distillation group study of this book right here, How People Change. And then this book, Gospel Fluency, is really, really helpful as well and kind of synthesizes some of this information in the context of a missional community kind of model. But So I just want to throw those out for you, for you to consider, to kind of read devotionally and and grow. But before we get into this model, um, some of you guys are really familiar with this, some of you guys are not. I want to talk about kind of a worldly, kind of all too common situation and scenario we see. Some of you will be familiar, I'm going to just make up a kind of story, but it is a synthesis, a story of many kind of experiences I've had before. So imagine James. James is a Christian man. And he's in a men's group. In this men's group, um, he James struggles personally with pornography and self-gratification. For many, many years now, it's been an on and off struggle for him. So he sits down on one of these um, fateful accountability group days with this group of men. And they go around in a circle and share if they were victorious or if they fell or they struggled or not when it comes to purity and other issues. But a, a big reoccurring focus is purity. So finally, it comes to James, and James confesses falling several times that week. You look around the circle, men nod in empathy, sadness. Nobody's surprised. Some offer words of thanks for his honesty. Then then here comes the flood of advice. One asks if he has proper blockers on his devices. Suggests he get something called covenant eyes or different things like that. One asks if he's been bouncing his eyes, like we read in Every Young Man's Battle from Stephen Harper, that you bounce your eyes when you see a lustful image or a tempting person on the street. So another one wonders if he's lonely and needs more friends, and that's why he's going to lust, is because he has a huge gap in his soul of loneliness, and he's looking to pornography to satisfy his loneliness. Another encourages him and tells that one of his keys for victory is taking cold showers when he is tempted. 
Another encourages him to talk to his wife about meeting his sexual needs more so that he does not need that release and he feels less tempted. And then finally, one sits up and quotes and says, Hey, James, Matthew 5, 21, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust, lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. James, don't forget that you are committing adultery before the Lord. So, as you can kind of see this picture, all these different men are giving these different solutions, different strategies to fight lust. And, and you can replace it with a different group, different struggle, men, women, it doesn't matter. Um, you've probably seen this happen before. Just this bombardment of different kinds of advice. And a week goes on and James comes back with a little skip in his step. Guys, didn't fall this week. He's victorious. Everyone's like, man, awesome. Good for you. Um, and they're excited. But then a week goes by and James comes back and he is hanging his head in defeat and shame. He fell that week. And in fact, he didn't just fall. He fell into harder, more darker, more sinister, more illegal kind of pornography. And so then the cycle continues where everyone suggests different strategies of how he can be victorious. Now, there are certain things that I just shared in that fictitious story that I've seen so many times before um, that are indeed helpful, helpful strategies, things that he could do. Um, but what this framework that often we have in sincere evangelicalism, Christian, godly people who love God, who are trying to help, is that we lack the ability to get to the heart. We lack the ability to get to the root issues. And so therefore, we spend most of our time trying to diminish the effects of the circumstances or the temptation and avoid the temptation, avoid those situations so that we can fight sin. And what I will suggest to you is that that is not only a losing battle, that is actually like totally against what God has given us. It, it, it's taken away the very, the, the very uh, weapons of warfare God has given us, and it actually never gets to the very heart, and, and therefore we never see transformation. And so we see years of years of this cycle of struggle. It could be pornography, it could be anxiety, it could be anger, it could be fretting and fear, it, it, you know, you name it, the fear of man. The cycle continues because we never uproot the heart issues. And so the power of this model is that it gives us a biblical framework to make sense in our own personal life, in our spouse, or in our kids, or in our DNA group, or anybody we're walking with, it helps us know how to flourish in Jesus, even if our circumstances don't change. That's key. It has the power to free you and others from the never-ending cycle of trying new method methods or strategies and yet never seeing true progress. And it also, as I've said, and I'll keep saying, it helps us get to the heart of the matter. Let me give you a scope of where we're heading in this seminar is that we're going to focus primarily on this right side while Pastor Daniel is going to spend a little bit more time on this side, practically how to get to there. But I want to orient ourselves with these realities because I think that many of us misunderstand them. Even though you may func theoretically understand these categories, functionally we still live in the old manner and the old way. So let me jump into this material. So first of all, what is heat? What is heat? Heat is your situation. Heat is both positive and negative situations. Just a, a basic definition is the person's situation in daily life with difficulties, blessings, and temptations. So in this room, we have heat with Jonas's really, really hard surgery he just had and his chronic illnesses and issues and 
and uh, diabetes and a knee for Allie that she just got this week, right? And others, other situations. We have Katie's chronic illness with her, um, the spine issues and, and, and the arthritis issues and other issues. We have baby Juniper that we're praying that God would, you know, reduce the swelling. We have job insecurity in this room of people searching for jobs. We have trials. So we have no shortage of heat. Heat is just the, the, the daily realities of living in a fallen world with a demonic realm trying to destroy you as well. And just the normal suffering of, that comes from our own lives that we produce and also from others. And, and then this fallen, broken nature of the world, you know, whether it's a hurricane that comes or a tornado or different things like that. That's heat. But it's also positive. Positive situations can also be a situation that can produce good or bad fruit in our lives. For, so, for example, um, I just thought about this. Um, our dear sister Sarah provided just a, a great spread of food with cards that tell us what it is and gluten-free and all that kind of stuff, right? And so one situation that is a positive thing is she's getting praise, and rightfully so, because we need to honor those. We need to give honor where honor is due. But also, depending on what's going on in her heart, can produce good fruit, humble gratitude before the Lord for His kindness working through her, or pride. Man, nobody put signs like me. Last time there were no signs. Whoever set out food, that's me. <laughs> right? Right? So, so the situation can also be positive things like a new job promotion or a new exciting relationship or good things. And based on what's going on inside of your heart will produce either bad or good fruit. And, and so I, I want to keep going on the line. So I'm going to kind of skip back and forth. So I, prom- I, I just want to let you know it won't be super linear because they're connected. So I'm going to be jumping around. Um, let me show a passage with you guys, one that many, many of you are probably familiar, Deuteronomy 8.2. <clears throat> this is Yahweh speaking, uh, Moses, and you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years in wilderness, that, what's the purpose behind his leading them? That purpose, he might humble you and testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, God knows what they're going to do. In fact, we even see that he's going to say, you're going to do this. Even at the end, uh, in, in, in end of Deuteronomy, Yahweh tells Moses, the people are going to be hard-hearted and they're going to be, st-. He like, he knows what they're going to do. And yet, these temptations, these trials that they're going through, trusting him with the manna, going through all these fights with Sihon and all these different people is, 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 designed, God designed providentially to expose what's in their hearts. So one of the purposes of the Lord in our trials and our heat is to reveal in our hearts that which is yet not sanctified so that we can become like Jesus. Not to expose us to shame us, but expose us to bring us into light. These, the heat of our life, the trials of our life are God-given providentially designed in order to expose what's still in our hearts that is yet to be like conformed under the image of Christ, right? When we think about the passage that Scott spent so much time on, uh, uh, Ephesians 4, there's this one line, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is where we're trying to go. 
God wants to make us into the fullness of Christ. And when heat comes in our life, it exposes where are the areas that are already conformed into Christ and therefore it produces good fruit in areas of our heart that is yet to be under the lordship and the renewal of our minds under Christ's ways that will show bad fruit until we come to the cross and, and produce good fruit. So again, I'm going to just keep jumping around. But this is our goal is we want, and this is what God's goal is in our hearts. He's trying to produce in us Christ-likeness, fullness, and the heat reveals what's currently there. We'll get more into heat when we get into the thorn section. But I want to make this point. Our greatest problem in our life is not our heat, but what the heat reveals in our hearts. Okay? Our greatest problem in the world right now is not the heat, not the illness, not the trial, not the hard relationship, not the temptation, but that which is, lurks inside your heart that is revealed and exposed by the heat. And that is very, very easy to nod your head to, very easy for us to affirm theologically, but very hard to functionally live out. I mean, if I just said this, raise your hand if you believe that other people cannot make you sin. Okay? All right? So most of us believe that. And yet most of us struggle to live that. We, we would say, no one can actually make you sin. They can influence you to sin. They can exert, exert, encourage you. They can exasperate to the point that it makes very much sense for you to sin, but they can't make you sin. Satan can't make you sin. The world can't make you sin. Situations, your children, your lack of sleep, nothing can make you sin. But yet, I guarantee you that the average church member, even in all people's church, I think a lot of them would not say that, that people can't make them sin. Um, and those who do, functionally, they still live like it is because of that situation that they did what they did or responded the way that they responded. Most of us move through life believing that circumstances are making us the way we are. <clears throat> and we believe that if we could only change our circumstances, the key issues will be addressed. If I could only move to that new neighborhood, new house, or a new job, or get into that new relationship, then finally I will have the kind of life that I want, that God wants, right? <clears throat> Recently, <clears throat> a lot of you guys know that we had um, like five or six birthdays within five weeks in my family. And uh, at the end of it, we're just like, <laughs> we hate birthdays, you know? <laughs> so sorry, Daniel, if I have any, if I'm projecting upon you any like animosity for you being your birthday, but I'm like, gosh, man, get over yourself, people. It's birthdays, everyone has one. And, um, <clears throat> but there was one day where we planned such a beautiful day, planned gifts, planned a great meal, and we just poured it out upon one of our children. And yet, in response, and if for those of you guys who have older kids, you can have the, most, the best gifts ever, the most perfect day planned, and yet it's not enough. It's not enough. And they can still be ungrateful on a day where you just bless them and serve them and gift them. And... Uh, and on top of that, when you are blessing them and serving them and gifting them, you're often in a state of, of extra fatigue and maybe even more poor <laughs> because you spent that money and time, emotional energy and, and literal money on them. And so on top of that, we, we have this new tradition where on a kid's birthday, they're able to sleep in our room um, and like play games with us, hang out, talk, snuggle, and then they sleep on the floor. Because <laughs> they, man... 
Hope tried to sleep with us, and she just was kicking and kicking and kicking. And then in the morning, I wake up, I turn over, and it's just Hope, and Joanne is nowhere to be found. So she's sleeping on the floor. She's like, I'm done. I can't do this, right? So needless to say, the last <clears throat> month or so, we, we're, our sleep has not been top-notch. <clears throat> it's been challenging, right? Um, now, what happened in response to the ungratefulness of my children and this situation. So what's the heat? The heat is my kids are being ungrateful. Uh, I'm tired. Uh, I have given up sacrifice. I've sacrificed things that I want to do for them, for their joy. I've not been able to be in a, a room alone with my wife for a while. And, and so you can pile it on. That's the situation. Now, that situation can produce two different outcomes. It can produce good fruit. It can produce bad fruit. And the only way you know what's going to come out is what's in your heart. So this is where we move to the thorn section. The thorns, or some people call it bad fruit, depending on who you talk to. You can use either or whatever sticks in your brain better. The thorns are the, is the bad fruit that is produced because there's still bad roots. And because there's bad roots, when it's, Met with certain heat in our life situations, it produces thorns, bad fruit. The, re, the reaction is this. So I'm going to get into that in just a minute. So uh, a couple of a quick definition if you're taking notes. Thorns is the person's ungodly response to heat or a situation. Thorns is the person's ungodly response to the heat or situation. A key question is how do you react? What do you want and believe? So Edward, fictitious Edward, is handling the pressures of his work and stresses of his life with too much alcohol. Ted wonders if it's worth going to church when God never answers his prayers. Drew numbs himself nightly with Netflix. Barbara decides to quit her small group because no one is there for her, for her according to her account. Deborah is eaten up with envy. Here are some common thorns, categories, in reaction to heat. Worry, escapism, denial, anger and blame, self-pity, fear, despair. Worry, escapism, denial, anger and blame, self-pity, fear, and despair. So imagine Jimmy. Jimmy has a son who verbally disrespects him publicly. That's the heat. So Jimmy is disrespected by his son who should honor him and respect him publicly. Okay? Disrespe disrespect drives Jim crazy. Thorns come out of his heart. Jim gets in his son's face and yells at him, telling him that he's not going to take that disrespect any longer. That's the bad fruit. <clears throat> Unrighteous anger, yelling at his son. The result, result, consequences, is a distant, angry, tense relationship with his son. So, <clears throat> back to my story. My children are not responding as gratefully as they are. I think they should. I perceive they should, right? I, I think that after all the sacrifice, they're going to just be perfect. They're not going to fight with each other. They're going to listen well. They're going to just constantly praise us. You know, dad, you're just the best dad. You're so sorry. Dad, just stop it. Just go play golf. You're fine. Like, you're so good to us. We don't deserve you as our father. You know, we've been reading the stats lately. We understand how 
fatherlessness is everywhere and you just you exceed them all you're fairer than 10,000 right this is what my flesh wants to hear and i want them just to leave me alone so i can just rest okay just leave me alone i earned my rest okay so that's what i'm wanting and that that is the the situation the heat and and yet what happens is that because i feel disrespected i feel like they're not giving me what i've earned i now we're driving in the car true story and in the van i'm doing this long lecture berating them while i'm driving you know just turning around yelling about how they're ungrateful and i and i quote ecclesiastes I was like vanity vanity what's the point why should i even try to be present and be personal and intentional with you if if after all that you're still not grateful i literally said all this stuff joanna's just rolling her eyes just you know this is not it's not good what you're doing right now okay and the kids are sad. Different ones are responding differently based off their personality and where they're at. You know, Elijah is, is overly, um, wants things to be better. So he's like, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry we're like this. Sorry it's so hard for you. Beating himself up. Other kids are just claiming down. Um, Hope, Hope doesn't know what's going on. So she's like, sorry, Dad. Like, oh, thank you. That's a gift from the Lord, right? <clears throat> and if you were to pull me aside in that moment <clears throat> and courageously step into my face, gently or even aggressively when I'm in this moment of anger and ask me, what's your biggest problem right now? You know what I would say? The kids! The kids are my problem. If the kids could just be better, then I would be better. If the kids would just respect me as they ought to, listen to me, sleep better, all that kind of stuff, then my life would be better. And this is the problem for all of us is that in the midst of heat, the problem with heat is that it's hot and it's hard and it's painful and it's disorienting. And in those moments, all of our fixation can be here. And then when you're in the context of a DNA group or your spouse or a situation, and they're pouring out their heart about their boss or their situation or their chronic illness, then it, our fixation gets on the heat. And that heat matters. And if you read the Psalms, you know that the heat matters and you ought to mourn the heat. You have to talk about the heat. You have to even, even tell the Lord how much that hurts the heat. So that's heat's important. And yet the heat becomes everything. And then we start to believe that if you just got healed, then everything would be good. And if you just got that job, or if you just got that victory, or if you just had that temptation removed, then everything will be right. And so, so often in our ministry to one another and to our own souls, we get fixated on removing the heat. Just got to get rid of that heat. We got to just get our kids to stop treating us the way they treat us. So that leads us to the bad root. Again, this is all going to kind of mix together. But the bad root is what do you want and believe? Fundamentally, what's in your heart? What do you want and believe? Uh, another way to put it is what do you believe about God in those moments? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about the world? What, what story are you living and living out in? What's the purpose of this world? Why are we here? All these things. What, that, that is the fundamental questions that drive at the roots. Here's a definition when we are rooted in our old self, an old, an old way of doing things, our desires, thoughts, and actions will be self-focused and without love for God and others and end in sin. Let me give you a couple passages that connect to the root concept and thorn. Mark chapter 7, verse 20 and 23. Um, can someone read that out loud real quick? And then can someone read James chapter 4, 1 through 3? Could I get a volunteer, James? Mark 7, 20 through 23. Michael's got that, and can I get one sister to read James 4, 1 through 3, please?
It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. I, if I heard you correctly, you said all these evil things come from without, right? Outside of us. In our children, in our situation, in our spouse, right? It's outside of us. If the outside could just get their act together, the inside will just be nice and clean and pure and good. Now, can a sister read James 4, 1 through 3, please? Thanks, Jennifer. Oh, of course. Great. Well, there's a lot there, obviously, but in short, we often, you know, if you're in a fight or an argument with a spouse, you think, this is your problem. If you could just change the way you're thinking or doing this situation, um, things will be okay, right? But what does this passage say? Uh, whether it's a quarrel with someone in your life, like your spouse or someone at the church or at work, it's, it's not outside, it's the passions that are at war inside of. I remember a recurring fight I would see from a very close couple of mine. One of, one, one of them, in the midst of heated debate, they'd be like, don't you see what's happening? It's the devil. The devil is making us do this. And then the other spouse would say, no, it's you. It's you. It's your own heart. Stop blaming the devil on everything. Right? And both are kind of right. Right? Both are right. right? They, these all play a part. They're all important. They're all influencers. But at the end of the day, it's our hearts so there's this um little document i can send it to you if you want this is from the uh gospel fluency book but jeff vandersilt's wife was struggling she was struggling with a situation with her children and what the fruits were coming out of her heart were desire for control fear anxiety worry so then jeff kind of carefully led her through this process of okay so this is the fruit that's coming out of your heart out of your mouth out of your life what are the roots what are you believing about yourself who am i who do you believe about your what do you believe she believes i'm not in control but i believe i have to be what, what do you believe god has done well she believed that he had stopped loving me believed that he god had lost control of what was going on with their children and that he had abandoned her. And then what did she believe about God? Who is God? He's unloving. He's impotent. He's absent. See, the, the, the fruits here, these bad uh, fruits, the thorns, oftentimes we in the church will ignore the trunk, these 
deep-rooted issues and just say, well, you know, the Bible says, do not be anxious. You know, one of the biggest commands in the Bible is do not fear, sister. You need to not fear. You need to not worry. God is in control. And yet, underneath this sister's really, really sad, hard fruit were deep roots here that were causing the fruit. And until we address the root, we will never get to the fruit. So here are a couple questions you can ask to get to the roots. What are you believing about yourself? So in a situation, you may say, I deserve a certain kind of outcome. And yet, where the gospel comes and where truth comes in is that, do you remember that you don't deserve anything? Do Do you forget, Sam, that you actually deserve hell? That on this side of eternity, hardships is the closest you'll ever experience hell because of God's grace. Did you forget that? Do you forget that you're an adopted child or a co-heir with Christ? Another question you could ask is, what are you believing about God? And, and, and sometimes in those moments, I believe that God exists for me. That God's grand purpose is for my purposes and my joy and my goals. We forget often that Jesus plays by the same rules. We think that God is playing, he's unfair. And then we forget that Hebrews, that he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. He played by the same rules. He subjected himself to all the horrors and the tragedies of this fallen world. Uh, Third question is, what am I believing about the world? What am I believing about the world? So think about this. When you think about the story of God, we have creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the, the full arc of the Bible and where we're heading. So creation, God is creator. He, control, he, he is the sovereign. We owe everything to him. He's good. He wants good for this world. He created the world for good. But the fall, what, what do we all understand theologically about the fall? The fall means that every single thing in this world is tainted with sin. Everything is twisted in and itself. Everything down to nature, to our own hearts, to our speech, to our sexuality, everything. And, and, and oftentimes we forget that fundamental reality. We forget that this world's fallen. It forgets that the, our bodies are decaying. And, and, the, and the creation is groaning for the restoration and the revealing of the sons of, of God. And because we forget that, what do we do? Well, when suffering comes in our life, we, we, we're like punched in the face and we're like, oh, suffering, right? Hardships in my body? Are you kidding me, God? We get upset at God, but we're forgetting that the very theology and understanding of our Bible says that we are going to have ailments in our bodies. We are going to have hardships, right? And so we get disoriented because we forgot our place in the story. We forgot the story of God, that God has created this world, and yet man has screwed it up. And because man has screwed it up, the world is cursed, and we have division with God, and we have brokenness as a result of that division with God, and every single thing is broken at some fundamental level. And yet we forget that regularly, and when bad things happen, we get upset at God, like he changed plans. This has always been part of the plan. This has always been in the book, and yet we forget in those moments. And so that's a bad root that needs to be unrooted. We also, in the midst of suffering, we can often forget our place in the story that heaven is coming, right? Heaven is coming, and when heaven comes, it will take every sadness in this world and turn into a glory over time, right? As C.S. Lewis says, it will will work backwards. Heaven will work backward and take even the darkest, most painful, shameful, sad thing and make it a glory one day. We forget heaven. We make, make it like all our life is just right now in this temporary, right? So these are all roots, lies that we're believing, 
things that we're forgetting about God and His character and His story and how good He has been. If He did not spare His own Son, how much will He graciously give us all things with Him, right? We forget these fundamental truths of the gospel and God's heart and character and what He is doing in this grand story. See, do you see that if the root issues are not addressed, if we don't uproot these lies that we're believing, all this stuff here, that no matter what we do in our situations, it'll never get to the heart. You can move cities, you can move churches, you can move situations in your life around, you can get more money, all that kind of stuff. If those roots aren't uprooted, those will still sabotage you in behind the scenes or in another situation. So often we argue that changes of our locations or relationship or situation would just allow us to respond differently. We blame situations or even the world for our sin. So thinking about the roots of my situation as I'm berating my children in the car, what am I believing in that moment? What am I functioning? What am I forgetting in the story of God? What am I forgetting uh, of who I am and what God, who God is? So we'll throw it out. You guys can speak into me right now. Publicly rebuke me. What am I forgetting in those moments? This was a week ago, by the way. That you deserve uh, gratitude. Mm hmm. Which is okay. Yeah. God calls us to serve and lead selflessly. Mm hmm. Consider others more important than ourselves. Yep. And, wh- and how was I serving? I was serving with, with conditions, right? Or maybe believing that you were different than them mm. in your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're onto them. Can you flesh that out a little bit? Um, maybe you were thinking, like, yeah, I, I get this, right? Like, in my mm-hmm. relationship with the Lord, like, when He gives me something good or when I get something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you just get it together? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How often have we had just a, a waterfall of grace and gifts and mercy upon us in that very day we just sin real bad? Yeah. We're super ungrateful. We're entitled. We're bitter, right? Yeah. Uh, last Saturday was our Sabbath. And Sabbath is a day where we try to live as if the new heavens and new earth are here, even though they're not fully here. And the problem with doing that is that the new heavens and new earth, new heavens and new earth are not here yet. <laughs> we're, there's the already and not yet, and we're trying to emphasize the not yet. We, we have a meal out. We, we spend the money to eat out. We, we watch a movie. We, we sleep in a little bit, and we hang out. It's, it's, it's sweet, and yet the fallenness of the world is still there. And because I'm so fixated on the not yet on Saturdays, I get disoriented when the already happens. Right. Wait, wait, wait. They're not yet. Opposite. Thank you. That was a test. You caught it. Good job, Hannah. Right? I'm so focused on the already. Sorry. On the not yet. Yeah, I want the not yet. No, no, no. Already. Already. You want the already. Yeah. That's right. And yet yet to come. And yet I, I forget that there is still a fallen world. And the flesh and Satan and the world are still at large. Right? And I can go to a park. And because of Minneapolis and I'm hanging out with my kids, there's a topless woman walking around on Sabbath, you know? 
and my son, you know, and I, like, th- those are things I have to navigate in this fallen world. And if I forget what place I'm at in the story, I get disoriented and I get bitter at God. I get frustrated. I get self, I start to self-pity. Oh, it's so hard, you know. Saturdays are never for myself. It's just only for my kids. I'm only, I'm only here to be a servant, you know. Wait, aren't I old, or here to be a servant, <laughs> right? I'll say these things and I forget that that's actually why I'm here, right? So there's more to my heart. So what, what needs to happen in that moment? I need to then recognize that this is bad fruit. This isn't respectful fruit. This isn't um, the fruit that is becoming of, of the situation. This is bad fruit because I have bad roots right here. So what do I need to do? I need to come to the cross. I need to confess to Jesus. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. For I believe I'm entitled to certain things. Father, forgive me because I'm not loving and representing the, you to my children as you are. Father, forgive me because my love is coming with strings attached to it. Father, forgive me for my self-pity and my ingratitude that I have children, that I have another year of life with them. Forgive me for the many things I'm overlooking. So, so you start off going to the cross for forgiveness. Because unless forgiveness is granted, cleansing is happening, you won't be able to uproot these roots. You can't just merely renew your mind and not go to the cross and get the forgiveness. Then it will repeat. That shame will rear its ugly head and bring you back into that cycle. And so first we go to the cross. Jesus, forgive me. Lord, another Sabbath where I lose my cool with my kids. Another Sabbath where dad is yelling. Forgive me, Father. And then I trust 1 John 1, 9 that he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And then I talk to my DNA group and to my wife that week and I confess them so that you may be healed, James chapter 5. So I'm clean, I have a clean heart, and then now I start to affirm the truths of God. God, I am a servant. That's why I exist. And so the next Sabbath I wake up and say, God, if this whole day goes to crap, it's okay. Because as long as you're pleased with me, as long as I'm faithful to serve, as you call me to be a father and a husband, then, then you're, if you're happy with me, then I'm successful today. And that's a good day, you know? I, I took the kids to school yesterday for their last day of Hope Academy semester. And I said, I want to pray for you guys to have a great day. And do you, you want to know what a great day is? I pray that you guys will love other kids today who don't love you well. See, what I'm trying to do is I'm training our kids to not think about their day being good or bad based off of their circumstances. Because frankly, my son especially has been dealing with a lot of bullying. A lot of bullying lately. It's been really bad. It's chronic. It's every day. And I'm trying to train my son as much as I get angry when I hear these stories. And I recently, we weren't believing him fully, but recently we had another parent tell us something they witnessed. So we're like, okay, this is really, really happening. And I'm trying so hard to train my son to, to not think through the lens of, your day was good, dad, son, because you didn't have any bad things happen to you. But your day was good because you learned to love like Jesus. So every night for the last two weeks, we've been reading Luke 6, Loving Your Enemies. And then also praying and reading over the speck in your eye, the speck in your, you know, someone's eye and the log in your own, because he can become very judgmental over these kids. And so this is just all real for me. This is, the, you see, this, this whole framework is real life. It's Christianity on the ground of how do we make sense of all this stuff. And so for me, I confess my entitlement, my selfishness, and my worldly love. And then God forgives me. And then I start to uproot with truth of who I am, 
who, what, what, what are the, the true realities of why I exist. I'm here to be a servant. One day I will rest fully in the new heavens new earth. Sabbath rest is here and yet not fully here. I'll have that one day. I'm to be a servant. I'm not entitled to love. I've already been given inexhaustible, unconditional love from the Father. I don't need any of that from other people, even though I appreciate it from other people. I'm not looking to other people for my love and validation. I'm looking to the Father, and if they give me love, then praise God. But I got it from coming from the, the river of life. Um, and some, some pictures have a stream here, and it represents like rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit kind of flowing. And so what happens as God uproots these lies in me? these lies that I believe about myself and replaces them with good, good roots. Romans 12, my, my mind is being renewed. And then the next time the same situation happens because these situations happen all the time in my home. My response is not this bad fruit because my roots are new. My response is good fruit. I respond with patience and love that I serve my children and even when they're not grateful back, gratefully grateful in return, I can still love them and be patient and not upset, not berate them for not being great, thanking me. I respond in love. And you know what? In this last week, I've done that a lot more. And then yesterday, I did this again. One of them spoke really rudely to, my, to Joanna. I lost it. There's only a few times where I lose it in, in the home, and it's usually when they're cruel to each other or cruel to their, to their mom. And I jumped on it. And in that moment, I was angry. I was trying to control their behavior with my actions and my words, but forgetting and believing the lie that I can change people with my actions and words. <laughs> not praying with them, not sitting down with them gently, thinking that my intimidation, my intensity could help them really learn the lesson. Don't you dare talk to your mom like that. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting this. So what do I need to do? So what I did is last night as I repented to the Lord, then crawled into bed with one of my children, told them what their daddy did wrong, asked them for forgiveness, prayed with them until the cross is renewing me, and then I'm trying to reinforce these good roots. Because the reality is this is not something you do one time, right? Oh, yeah, I remember in 98 when I had that bad root of self-entitlement. I got that rid of that one then. No, it's, it's, there's just, it goes deeper, right? So like you're pulling and you're like, oh, I got it. And then like another situation, heat brings out more bad fruits. Oh, there's more, right? And right now I'm doing a lot of weeding in my yard and there's sometimes it just goes, goes and goes, right? And so you have to just keep going back and replace it with good, root, good roots. And then over time, good fruits come out. And so the same heat in the future will produce by God's grace, different fruits. And it's so encouraging. And the reality is, if we live under this reality that God is sovereignly working out this stuff for our good, then the heat may not go away. In fact, the heat may intensify at times in our life. And yet, because God is transforming our hearts, our hearts will be changing and producing more fruit. Isn't it awesome when you look back on a situation? I was just kind of reflecting. My wife and I used to bicker a lot, and I would deal with a lot of self-pity in my marriage with her. And I think just maybe, maybe three months ago, Joanna and I had a small conflict and we handle it so lovingly and so maturely and so Christ-like that the next day or maybe that night, I can't remember exactly, I remember thinking, man, a couple of years ago, we would have both lost our cool. We'd have been so ungodly. And praise God, he's uprooted so many of our lies that we are now producing good fruit and, and fighting well, like lovingly working through a conflict. And I was just praising God for that. 
And it's so cool that in the, in the day-to-day, right, in the stone laying and, and just thinking about Scott's talk, like in the day-to-day, it feels like there's no growth sometimes. I did it again. But then if you zoom out, you pan out and say, wow, I am respecting my husband more now, or I am loving people more, or I am walking in more purity. I have a renewed mind the way I look at women and bodies. Oh, I am walking in greater uh, peace and not in anxiety and fear. I am trusting God more. And and sometimes we got to zoom out to see how God is working. So listen, every single member of your DNA, including you, have bad roots. We all do. Deeper and more insidious than we would like. And they're under the surface. And the inevitable heat of the world will expose expose these bad thorns. And the bad roots will be exposed by thorns. And God has designed and called all of us here to be instruments in his hands, to carefully shepherd each other, to be like gardeners with the help of the Holy Spirit, to just start to gently pull these roots out, remove them, and then plant seeds of gospel truth of Christ in our hearts so that over time, as we're patient and we're trusting the great gardener, the vine dresser, over time, we become this oak of righteousness that produces good fruits in season, out season, no matter what the heat is. And that is why we see many situations. We, we see 10 different Christians have the same situation, yet they have different reactions, right? Why? It's not because the situation is different. It's because they have different roots. And, and by God's grace, our DNAs, when we're, we're doing them well and patiently, not perfectly, but over time, we're going to see more and more good fruit because our roots are becoming changed. So I just commend this to you. It takes time. So often we think still out of the situational and um, just commend you to continue to just think in your own life. Like maybe right now, let's, let's do this. If you, if you could close your eyes if you're willing. What's a, what's a situation right now in your life that you have been primarily thinking the problem was the heat? And perhaps your prayers, though it is totally warranted and biblical for you to ask for the heat to go away, Paul asked three times, Jesus asked three times, you have been primarily focused on the heat to go away rather than the roots that are being revealed. And so, my friends, beloved, if we're going to help others, we got to make sure our own hearts are constantly focused on the roots and the bad fruit rather than the situations. And so maybe just for the next minute, you can just confess over a situation, God, I have been so fixated on this being removed and not thinking about the fruit and the roots. And actually, I just want to open it up if anyone wants to publicly just say that, Father, I confess I have been blank. And then we'll just, we can kind of just celebrate God's grace in your life right now together. Father, I confess that so often I think that my joy is contingent on my children's behavior or my children's life. Forgive me, Lord, for fixating on the heat, fixating on the situation and not fixating on how I'm responding and what you're doing in this heat. Forgive me, Lord. Renew me. In Jesus' name. I've been anxious and sometimes angry when the Facebook for a model it doesn't go as I had planned or the time that I planned. And I ask for your forgiveness, Lord, for, for the ways that uh, I've tried to take matters into my hands and I've responded poorly. 
that. I confess that I've been sacrificing a lot of personal life, uh, caring for my wife and baby, um, <coughs> so that I can save face with work and try to prop up my pride. Mm-hmm. When the reality is, is I'm way more than that I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having patience with others and their choices and their actions for my own good reasons. Mm-hmm. Hmm.